Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis, and this is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, I'll be chatting with a guest who wears many hats. He's a registered nurse, a multi-platinum selling singer and songwriter, public speaker, and best-selling author. You know him as the frontman of the legendary Canadian rock band, Glass Tiger. Alan Frew was in the midst of planning a tour when the pandemic slammed on the brakes. We're going to find out how Alan is handling quarantine, the fascinating story of how he became the frontman of one of the world's most successful bands, and how he's doing after having a stroke. So much to talk about. So let's get this podcast started with Alan Frew. Hey, Alan. Marilyn, you know, you know, if if uh, uh, Elvis Costello hadn't written Allison, I would have written Marilyn. Marilyn, I would love to write a song like that. Oh, How I love you, you to do that. That'd be great. Oh, I love you dearly. I got it. I know that you and I spoke recently, but how are you and your family dealing with this pandemic? Uh, you know, Marcy and your daughter. What's going on? How's life? Well, uh, we haven't killed each other yet. Um, <laughs> I tend to, yeah, I I tend to get in the way a lot, and I just get told uh, get out the way. Um, so I've a. Uh, my wife is and I are doing uh, well. My daughter, she's only she's she'll be sixteen soon. It's been it's been tougher on her. Uh, mm-hmm. Most recently, there's been little um, a light light at the end of the tunnel where she's done a little bit of social distancing where she gets to see a friend. They've got their masks on, they're six feet apart, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So we're getting there. Yeah, it is tough on the on the kids especially. And a 14, 15, 16-year-old, mm-hmm. and even little ones that don't understand, well, I want to go. I see people outside now. Why can't I go near them to play with them? There's yeah. a lot of, lot of. Uh, it's a big learning curve for all of us, that's for sure. Now, what were you working on before the lockdown? Uh, well, we were preparing. Uh, we had rehearsals booked because Glass Tiger had a full year of gigs planned. Uh, beginning in March. I was on vacation and we were coming back to start rehearsals and then boom, 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 we would have gone right through the summer into the fall and into the winter and now it's all gone. So what what happens to those people that were looking forward to being concert? Do you do you, do you postpone it and have new dates? Do you have to wait? Like wh- how does that yeah. work? Well, it's, it's really done between management and the agent and the promoter. So I've been told that about 75% of those dates have been mm-hmm. uh, shifted to next year. Uh, I've been told that the, the few in, in December may still be there for us when we get there. And unfortunately, some of the poor promoters for the summer festivals and stuff like that. They've, they've gone under. Yeah. They, they've lost the right. business. Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad to see yeah. all that happening. So Beautiful. how have you kept in touch with, how have you kept in touch with your fans since this lockdown? Well, with the fans, as you know, you were, um, uh, you were kind enough to be a guest on my little one man show. I've been, I, I started out, I just went live one day on Instagram all I wanted to do was just check in on people and say, hey, how are you doing? And about 10 people came on <laughs> and then 20 and 50 and 100 and a few hundred. And, and before I knew it, um, I was having fun and they were having fun. So then I started asking some of my pals like Johnny Reed and Gowan 
and Russ Courtnall and Peter McKay and Marlon Dennis. And you guys were all kind enough to come on and spend some time chatting with me. Uh, it's very unrehearsed, very casual. And uh, it's been great. That's how I've been keeping in touch with them. It's called Through the Looking Glass, which I love so much. Listen, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was a half hour late because I thought I knew how to get into Instagram Live, but it was a learning curve for me. But you were so generous about it. And I, it was so, uh, so good to see, like, Gallon again and, and seeing, you know, it's almost like behind the scenes of seeing the relationship with you and Johnny Reed, uh, you know, yeah. that, yes, you are both singers, but there's a friendship there. It's really, uh, it's heartwarming for, for a fan like me to see that. And, and, and that's why, um, you know, sometimes like you're such a pro and you're, and you're so, you know, well-versed in this. Uh, not that I have trouble speaking, but what I do is I try to make it more like it's two pals just checking in on, on each other. And whatever comes out, comes out. And, and the fans get to be sort of like a fly in a the wall. They're just kind of listening in. And it, mm -hmm. it tends to work. Uh, yesterday, I was th the day before, I was thrilled that David Coulthard, uh, the f former Formula One racing driver, Scottish guy, you know, uh, huge businessman, lives in Monaco. <laughs> and he comes on my Not show. Not a life. Here, but, it, but, but it was yeah. great. Did you, like, were, are you friends with him? Like, are you reaching out no, beyond no, the friendship I'd circle? <laughs> I'd never met him. I love it. Uh, I, I, I had a friend that kind of cold called him and he said, yeah, sure. Uh, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't hurt that don't forget me when I'm gone. And someday were such huge yeah. uh, calling cards. <laughs> I know it's such huge. And that's bringing me to this glass tiger. Not that you don't know this, but for those that are listening, hit major stardom in the 80s, out of the gate with the debut album, The Thid Red Line. I was a DJ in uh, Calgary when that came mm. out. Love that song. Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone is got to be one of the bestest songs in the world. Um, um, it, 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 it featured the background vocals of, of Brian Adams. But let's just talk about the transition about doing what you were doing and then putting mm -hmm. a band together. Let's, let's talk about that story. It's always so good to hear it. Well, meaning that, so I, w I was in a band uh, in the 70s and we, we did the snowball trail and we all starved and we all gave up, broke and hungry. And mm -hmm. so I decided I was going to be a doctor. Don't ask me why. I just have always sort of had a, an inclination to uh, being a caretaker in, in the healthcare and whatnot. So I, uh, I had... Uh, didn't have enough sciences uh, registered to qualify. So mm -hmm, they sort mm -hmm. of said, you should do something else. Uh, start at the bottom rung. So I got a job as an orderly. And then I uh, got a job as an orderly. Plus, I did autopsies for four years. I was a pathologist assistant working in autopsies. And then I put myself through nursing school and I became a registered nurse. And meanwhile, I get talked into joining a band, but I said, okay, I'll do it as a hobby. I'm not going on the road. I'm going to be a doctor. And, uh, <laughs> and how did that work out, Alan? Um, yeah, and no so kidding. Th that, that's what happened. I, I, uh, I joined a band again, and we ended up being really good at it, and record companies started scouting us. And uh, they matched us up with Jim Valance, and we wrote a song called Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. 
Not Let's talk about Jim Valance. Let's talk about the brilliant Jim Valance. And, and what do people mm-hmm. need to know about him? Uh, he's probably one of the most unassuming characters uh, that you'll ever meet. He, he likes to be in the background. He likes to just be very quiet and uh, just do his job. But at his job, he's a genius. Jim Valance, uh, you all know Jim Valance. You just don't realize it. He's the songwriting partner of Ryan Adams. And uh, he co-wrote all those classic uh, Brian Adams hits. And one of the one of the great stories I love to tell, if if you don't mind, is that I want you to tell stories today. Mm-hmm. Okay, on the very first day ever working with Jim Valance, um, we put some albums on. Uh, he said, "What are you listening to?" And I mentioned some albums. And when Tears for Fears came on, uh, it was everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah, is, what a great ba, 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 song. Da, 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 da. Every, ba, right? And Valance goes, ah, shuffle beat, shuffle beat. And so he runs to the drum machine and he starts this little shuffle beat. And I immediately, uh, as a verse, I went, don't forget me when I'm gone. And he goes, oh, I love that. Let's keep that, that line. Let's keep going. Wow. So we kept working. And then he said, oh, don't forget me when I'm gone. Put it in the course. So don't forget me when I'm gone. Very first day, Sam and Al Conley from the band Class Tiger, they were smokers at the time. They leave and they go for a walk and a smoke. And Valance gets on a little piano and he kind of goes, chug it, chug it, chug it, chug chug it, chug it, chug it, chug And I go, when I come home, you telephone. When I come home, that's what I had. And he goes, oh, I like that. And on the very first day, ever with Jim Valance. We wrote, don't forget me when I'm gone and someday. And they go oh. on to be, they, we win the Juno for single of the year off of the same album, 1986. The album stays in the charts the whole year and someday wins back to back, never been done before. And, you know, two of the biggest hits in the world on that day. Life changing, life changing. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. then I, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, you, can I ask how old you were when all this happened? Uh, I was about 28 going on 29 when it happened. And I was 30 years of age when Glass Tiger went through the roof. And so uh, the medical side went off a little bit and you got this great gift and you are living that life and the album's doing so well. And mm-hmm. how did you how did you deal with that personally uh, when you had this not one but two and this album just sold so many how many millions did it right. sell? Let me see uh, fastest selling uh, album in Canadian history at the time. Yeah, so um, mm-hmm. it was it was crazy. I don't mind telling you. I think especially for me being the front guy, uh, yeah. it, I went through a period of that sort of Beatle mania kind of stuff where it was really not safe to go certain places or you go out and you, I try to take my son to Canada's wonderland and the whole place, you know, I'd get chased out of there or uh, we could try and go mm. to the movies and we asked the movie theater, can we sneak in at the end? But it would, it would. And so it was very difficult trying to explain that kind of stuff to my little boy at the time, mm-hmm. but it comes with the territory. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I regret the most is that when the machine is moving, it moves so fast that you don't really take the time 
to realize what you've, what you've just done. Uh, mm. If I was talking to any young artists who are seeing great success these days, I would say to them, you know, take a moment, take a chance, step back, give yourself a pat in the back if need be, and recognize how hard you've worked and, and how well you're doing. We always talked, we talked last time, about 10,000 hours, right? And um, mm. you work towards that so much. And they always say to enjoy the process more than the goal. And mm -hmm. those, those are, it's funny. I, I make, I personally now look back and I go, I wish I would have enjoyed that process a little bit more and been in the moment I'm a sure. little bit more. I'm yeah. I'm sure yeah. you do. Yeah. When you uh, heard, don't forget me when I'm gone, I always like to ask artists this. Did you hear it for the, where were you when you heard it for the first time on the radio? Where were you well, located? Uh, I was located in a little house with my mom and dad up in Newmarket, and we mm. had been told we had been told that the radio stations were going to play it, but no one could play it until five o'clock. That, that this was <laughs> the deal, five o'clock. Yeah, and well. so my dad, my dad, uh, and the neighbours, they we borrowed like numerous little transistor radios, so we had like four or five of them. <laughs> all tuned to the different stations and of course uh, you guys in the in the radio business not to be outdone at like five minutes to five one of you went and they're playing it and my dad goes you're on the radio but then this the next one would kick in and the next one and it was just a house of a, a cacophony of bedlam listening to all the various uh, radio stations play it and my yeah, manager yeah. Uh, our, our manager at the time kept calling and saying you've just sold 5,000 singles at Sam the Record Man and and, wow. uh, and, then, it, and then it was 10,000 and uh, to, you know it goes on to sell 100,000 or more singles it became a, a platinum yeah. single but it was it was really funny but I knew Don't Forget Me When uh -huh. I'm Gone was a great song yeah, I just didn't yeah. know it was going to do what it did well, I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. First of all, I want to tell you a lot of disc jockeys at the time, because it wasn't automated, just so you know, Alan, were really bad at math. So we didn't maybe have an extra song for that hour. So we didn't get to hit the top of the hour. I mean, that's, that's what happened. And some of them like to get the edge on it. And they go, you know, and then yeah. they go, you know, maybe the Q107 beating Chum out that all the, all the stations that were all friendly, but it's like, I want to get the edge up. But I want to say this, when you were recording that and the magic of how that song came to be, um, mm -hmm. do you as an artist know, I mean, you can't say whether or not it's going to be a hit, but you know it's a good song. This is a song you're going to sing over and over and yeah. over again. So you got to love it uh, too. Am I right? Uh, uh, yeah. So I'll tell you the moment. I, I can remember the exact moment I knew that we were on to something. In okay. the second verse... The second verse, it goes, uh, if you could see what I have seen, I put this harmony on it and it becomes like the Everly Brothers. If you yeah. could see what I have seen, oh, and you get this beautiful Everly Brothers moment. Mm -hmm. And we were having a listening session with the record company, management, Valance, everybody gathered around out in Vancouver. And that's the exact moment I knew that we that we were on to something. And I remember wow. flying home 
from Vancouver with the cassette in my pocket. And I remember <laughs> thinking, I remember saying, please don't let this plane crash on the way home. I've got this great song in my pocket. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, I, again, you've got no idea what it's going to do, but I knew it was good. I knew it was good. Is that the song you always end with in concerts? Is that the one, or do you decide to start with it? I mean, what, there, there's so many. So well, do you know what? It's, what? What a very interesting question. It's been our closing song for years, uh, for decades. But uh, recently, I threw a curveball at the band. I usually decide what the show's going to, the, the order, excuse me, is going to be. And I said, uh, let's open the show with it. Because what that, what that says is, look how cocky we are. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. You know, here's our biggest hit ever, right out the gate. So you, can, you better have something to follow that up with. And of course, yes. we do. And, and yeah. so, uh, you know, that's what we do. So let's talk about, you get this great album, you go outside of Canada touring, you turned you you toured with Tina Turner, am I right on that? You mm -hmm. toured. Yeah, we, we with... started out with Journey. The big American tour was Journey. Journey. We get with with and Steve Perry and still in the band. We, oh, of course, we did. Uh, we did four months with them all all across America. They were it was incredible. Wow. And then wow. we we came home. We flew home and we won three of our five Juno Awards and went right back with Journey and then went right to Europe and did three months with Tina Turner. And what did Tina have out at the time? What was her big album? Uh, uh, something Dancer. What was that? Uh, private Dancer. Wasn't that Private I'm Dancer? Private I think it was a Private Dancer. dancer. Right, right, That's right. That's it. Wow, wow. So in all those you know, times and you're going from city to city and you're, you're, you're seeing the world. Um, do you have people that come backstage to say hello to you? Do you have moments backstage oh, yeah. where, yeah. Like, like who, who yeah. is like a famous person? You went, I can't believe I'm speaking to this person right now. Um, uh, well, off the cuff, Willie Nelson sent for me one time. He wanted to meet me and I went to a private room and, and had a sit down with Willie, um, John Bon Jovi, uh, Bobby De Niro, uh, um, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Um, uh, in Europe, Tina had, Tina, w w we were quite separated from her dressing room. Ours was right down the hallway, but there was always, you know, athletes and, and, and movie stars and, and, you know, other musicians, the ACDC came out one night. Um, uh, lots of people. There's a story about um, uh, Simon Lebon that I want you uh, want you to tell. Uh, uh, yeah. So from yeah. So tell us about that one. Well, we 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 landed at the airport in Germany, and um, this was just to do a promo. And they took us on the autobahn when when they could drive cars at like two hundred miles an hour, and I'm in the back of one of the the vehicles with the record rep. And I asked her who was on the TV show that we were about to do. They were, we were driving from like Frankfurt to Cologne or something like that. And, mm -hmm. she, and you get these crazy shows in Europe where you can have, well, she, this is exactly what she said. She said, well, there's Janet Jackson 
and then there's Otto and his dancing dogs, and then there's <laughs> Kevin Costner, there's Kevin Costner, and then there's Joe the Juggler, and then there's Frank who who can chainsaw the caps off of beer bottles without breaking the glass, and then there's Duran Duran, and th this is true. Uh, you, you, wow! You know, and the and these these shows are seen by ninety million people. So I said to her, "Oh, Duran Duran." I said, wow, we're fans of Duran Duran and now we're on the same label. Uh, maybe we could meet them. So when we pulled up to the TV show, TV, the, the studio, and we got out the car, I see Simon Le Bon and he's signing autographs and there's hundreds of kids around him. And I yeah. look over and I think to myself, wow, you know, one, one day, one day that'll be us. When all of a sudden, one of the kids turns around and she, they go, ah, glass tiger. <laughs> <laughs> and they, and I, they all come running. And Simon wow. LeBorne's looking like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> right? so, yeah. so later on, we're in the studio and we ask if we can meet them. And they give us some kind of, oh, yeah, you can get 30 seconds with them in between hair and makeup. And I thought... Forget, yeah, it. forget it. We don't need to meet yeah. them that badly. Uh, until we went on and performed and we did Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. And then mm. the record rep says, Duran Duran wants to know if they can come in and meet you. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. See, that's just so yeah. great. And do you remember the conversation at all? Was it, was it? Um, yeah, it was, it know. was very, you know, we, we were still very much fans of theirs uh, you know sure. I, I, yeah. I, I got yeah. to know john taylor later but they came in and we actually did the two songs i uh, don't forget me when i'm gone in someday and yeah. they came in just like musicians just saying hey boys yeah. nice to meet you that's uh, good we're, we're, we're great songs mm -hmm. good camaraderie you know i was i yeah. don't know who i was talking to in the music biz but i you know when i hear that people are um opening for an act like you did you have done um, I always think mm -hmm. that the act always talks to the, the, the opening act, like the, let's say Tina talking to you or uh, journey mm -hmm. talking to you guys, but that, that's not really how it works. Is it like a little bit behind no. the scenes, you, you go up and do it and then you clear. Then you're going. Am I right? So, so yeah. like on tour, on tour with Tina, you know, she's Tina Turner and, and you know, she's like royalty. So she didn't really even travel with her, her group, you know, so sometimes we'd all be on tour buses or a plane. She may be on it with us or maybe not. But you kind of get together at the beginning of the tour. With Tina, we got together at the beginning. And then we just went out and did our job night after night. And then, you know, we're off doing other things. And then we got together at the end. Uh, with Journey, you know, they were fun. Uh, they gave us a stage every day to play with after they, they you know, they got their first sound check in for the first few. And then they gave okay. us a stage every day. And sometimes Neil Sean and uh, uh, Steve Perry would come up and, and Steve would drum and Neil would play guitar. And we'd, oh, fun. We'd, yeah, we'd do stuff. They, they loved yeah. Someday. They loved Someday. Yeah, such so a great song. really as an opening act, all you ask for is that you get treated with respect by the crew. Mm -hmm. And mm. that's not always the case. Sometimes it's, it's pretty crappy. Why? Why would a crew not treat you well? Because they're with the the headliner. Is that why? And they uh, sometimes they're old. They're, they're sometimes they're old school. Like on a Moody oh. Blues tour, they would you had to cross their palms with silver or other things 
to get more room on the stage. Sometimes they're foreign crews, foreign to each other. So on the Roxette tour, it was like British, uh, uh, British catering, an American sound company, and Swedish staging, and they all hate each other. And uh, you're just in the way. You're just in the way, mm-hmm. and so they get they get pretty mean and nasty. The IKEA 2021 catalog is here. The 2021 catalog is bursting with tips and ideas. Consider it a super tool for any home furnishing project, big or small. Packed with budget-friendly solutions, fresh looks, and new exciting products, every page includes inspiration to make homes cozier, smarter, more sustainable, and more beautiful. It's the ultimate handbook for a better everyday life at home. The IKEA 2021 catalog is available to view online at ikea.ca slash catalog and for pickup in IKEA locations across Canada. Can you share your uh, Rod Stewart story with us? Uh, which one would you like? <laughs> oh, I mean, there's more than one. Well, I mean, of course. Uh, he, you well, know, maybe, maybe it's just the one. Oh, you can tell whatever people, you want. Well, people usually like to know how he came to sing on my tone how we ended up doing the duet. Give a little bit, give everybody a little bit on the start of that song. I bring the wind to carry me over, lead me home to my town. Tell me when that breeze is blowing, taking me home to my town. I had known Rod for about a year. We met at the Junos and they told me I would get five minutes with him and that ended up turning into about two hours and 15 beers later. And uh, <laughs> he said to me, when you come to LA, bring your soccer boots, bring your football boots, and we'll kick yeah. the ball around. So we became pals. And we would go to dinners and lunches, and uh, we'd kick the ball around, and, and we became buddies. But I never, ever played the card. Uh, that was not why he was, I was friendly with him. So I, we wrote My Town. We recorded it. It was in the can. It was done. And Rod and I were having dinner one night when the when one of the background singers came in the restaurant. And I looked over and I said, oh, there's Peter, whatever he's, I forget the guy. Right. And Rod said, oh, I know Peter. I've used him. Hey, Pete. And he called him over. And we made small talk when Peter said, hey, Rod, have you heard the song that Alan's written about Scotland? It's fantastic. He said, I sang on it today. And Rod just went, oh, really? Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, nice to see you, Peter. And Peter leaves and Rod thumps me in the arm and says, why the, did you not ask me to sing on it? <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't want to play that card. You know, he said, no, no, no. I want to sing on it. I want to sing on it. So I called his assistant over and I made him repeat that to his assistant. And the rest is history. He, We did it as a duet and it was one of the most surreal so moments good. in my life, for sure. I bet. I bet. And it sounded so good. Such a great song. Um, why do you think the music of the 80s resonates mm-hmm. still to this day, a very strong decade in music? Why, why, why now? Well, I, I, I think melodically, it, the, it was just so powerful. The melodies are just so powerful. And it's melody... Uh, melody driven and then yeah you got some goofy songs but you also got some incredibly positive messages uh delivered by those melodies and you got great 
uh, catchy lines like Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. You were able to walk out after hearing it once and go, Don't Forget Me it. When I'm Gone. When I'm Gone. And, yep. and there wasn't, there didn't seem, there didn't seem to be the anger and the angst that came uh, later. So I think, uh, you know, all these years later, uh, there's a resurgence of that. When Glass Tiger performs, anytime I ask the audience, who's ever seen us before? You're lucky if a third of them put their hands up. And within the third of them, you're lucky if a third of them saw us in 1986. So it's all new fans. They're yeah, all new. which is awesome. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, you reworked some of your favorite 80s tracks on that album, 80 to 90 Rewind. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. did that, why? Why did you do that? Because it's, I mean, very well received. I did it. How come? I, I did it. Yeah, I did it mainly for fun. Um, I thought, how much fun would it be to start the show with a hit, do a couple of hits, in the middle do a hit, end with two or three hits, go into the dressing room, have a beer, and come out and do two or three hits. Uh, I just thought it would, would just be an evening of fun. And, and I was right. Uh, it's one of the uh, the best things I ever did. I haven't done it in a while, actually, but uh, it's so well received. Um, yeah, and really and I have a killer band, and I think I deliver those songs vocally quite well. So it's just a ton of fun. Yeah, you are still rocking it. Let me tell you. And I I want to say this before we wrap this up. You know, you and I could talk for longer. Um, mm, for sure. So many stories to tell. I want to tell everybody that you had a couple of health issues and that you're you're mm -hmm. doing well. Uh, you and I mm -hmm. talked about it before, but for those that, that didn't know, um, uh, you had a stroke. Yes. I've and had, how long ago? I sound like I sound like a pathetic charity case, but within the last five years, I've suffered detached retinas. I had a mm -hmm. stroke. I had to have major surgery on my shoulder, and mm -hmm. I broke my neck 10 days before a tour. So uh, as far as the stroke goes, you're never the same. Um, I'm this guy now. I can never be the guy I was. I still have some little issues that I feel inside. But all in all, uh, I'm doing extremely well and my voice uh, is still at the top of its game. And uh, I try and try and behave myself. I try and look after my cholesterol and my salt levels and try mm -hmm. and take care of what I eat. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I had this wacky accident. Uh, one of the after effects, I think, of my stroke is whenever I'm nauseous, if I, if I feel like I'm wrenching, uh, I, I tend to black out and uh, oh, okay. I passed out twice. One time I was really lucky. I fell in the washroom and uh, the paramedics got me and I was okay. But the second time it happened to me, I fell and I, I, I fractured two okay. vertebrae in my neck. So I got to be careful. So how do you, how that, listen, I'm, I'm, you look like the picture of health. So yeah. how do you go on stage? Who's watching you? Is Marcy watching you like a hawk <laughs> on the stage? Like, no. what is like, I mean, because you, you are doing the shows, which, We'll get back on stage. You are going to do a tour. So what do you have to make sure that you're going to be okay? Who's watching over Alan? Well, when I, when I broke my neck, I, I have a full-time assistant who works for me. And when I broke my neck, mm -hmm. I took him with me 
and he sort of babysat me and he lifted and and suitcases and the the boys take tour buses and I fly and mm-hmm. and he made my life a lot more comfortable. Uh, that kind of thing happens. People keep their eye on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, I fly, they don't. Uh, they take my suitcases and stuff like that. But I could, generally yeah. speaking, I just get up there and belt it out. Alan Fru, thanks for being with us today. Where can people follow you? Ah, well, uh, you can follow me on on Instagram at Alan with a little underscore Fru. Uh, I do a, a, my show on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook which is just Alan Frew, and uh, and my Twitter is just the same, Alan Frew. You can follow me on all three of those. Alan Frew, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Marilyn. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.